Welcome to a new Nudia on Your Mind podcast with Victor and Johan. Nice to be here again. Uh, I agree. And this time we have a new topic that we have uh, brought up. Uh, it's uh, supply chains and the uh, global coronavirus epidemic. Where to start, Victor? Uh, I mean, before we, we start getting into the, the current situation, what do you say that we, we start at the very beginning? What is it that has has been happening and when did this start? Yeah, always good to start at the beginning, uh, although we shouldn't make a long-winded lecture about it. Um, the outbreak of the coronavirus started uh, in December uh, in uh, the province of Hubei in China and has been spreading in China rapidly since. Um, and the Chinese authorities have introduced what you could call draconian measures to contain that spread um, and, and to get on top of it. Uh, and that means that, well, we've certainly seen reports uh, showing that in the region of a half billion Chinese uh, are currently under travel restrictions. Uh, lockdowns of cities, people not being able to move freely, that's massive. And especially in the context of that being, roughly speaking, one third of the population. And as far as we can tell, tell this has uh, has had a great effect on, on containing uh, the spread of uh, of the virus in China. Uh, but if we look to to uh, what our report is uh, is about uh, and what it's focusing on, um, what effects uh, can we see from this this major disruption? Uh, if we look toward the the economic side, obviously very substantial effects. And, and I guess Victor is also worth highlighting that we are into what are the consequences for economic output and how will this ultimately affect how the businesses of companies perform. Uh, we are not looking into the specifics of the virus and the human tragedy associated with all people getting affected and, and getting sick. But on that particular question, what effects will this have? Well, we are already seeing substantial effects which are evident in, for instance, PMIs coming out of China, uh, where we can very, very clearly see also from companies having made profit warnings and various comments about the outlook that the fact that people are not able to move around freely in China while they're under these containment measures mean that they have difficulties getting to work in factories producing goods. They have difficulties getting out, buying things, consuming things. And that's clearly depressing economic output in, in China. And these are the effects that we, we've already started seeing happening? Or, or do you expect this to to kind of hit once and then succeed? Or, or what is your take on that? This is what's happening now and what has been happening for the past couple of months since the spread of the virus became evident and the Chinese authorities introduced these draconian measures restricting the movement of people. And we have in our report looked at data to try and get some sort of grip um, of what is the magnitude of impact that this is going to bring for companies elsewhere in the world and particularly for us here in Europe and in, in, in the Nordic region. Um, and what we we have seen apart from these PMIs suggesting that activity is low in China is having looked at shipping data and activity in ports, um, just modeling that and allowing for the fact that it takes roughly speaking about a month to ship goods from China to Europe. Uh, there are massive declines in exports out of China and imports into China on the back of this reduced activity level that they have today. And uh, the, the, the effect that we will see in Europe uh, will obviously be... be um, be dependent on uh, Europe's trade with uh, with China. So, with how how 
dependent are European corporates uh, in, in terms of demand and in terms of supply with, uh, with China. And I mean, on the demand side, when it comes to decreased uh, Chinese consumption, uh, I would assume that you start to see that effect rather rapidly since, uh, since when it comes to, to for example, placing orders uh, for Chinese corporates. Uh, if you see a decreased demand, then that would happen instantly. Um, but with the supply side, I mean, there, there's, uh, you mentioned this with, with uh, the shipping times, there, there's an inherent lag in it. It's, it's not just about placing an order. It's about having placed an order maybe a month ago or two months ago, and then seeing those goods uh, arrive rather recently. Uh, and from the development in, in China and from the indicators that we have looked at, we, uh, we see a, a pretty remarkable decrease in, in Chinese uh, shipping activity. Uh, and with this lag, then, of course, this, this means that if we saw that decrease happening uh, perhaps a month ago, uh, it will start hitting us in Europe. And that is the point, right? We have already seen profit warnings from companies across different sectors like MasterCard and Visa, like airlines, like brewers, like even Microsoft and Apple facing different kinds of issues from this reduced activity in China. And what we can see in the data we've looked at is that we already know activity is lower and allowing for the time it takes to ship goods from China to Europe now, the month of March, is the time that we're going to see the effects of less product, less material, less component being available from, from imports from China. So if we only look at this immediate effect, uh, is it safe to say that we are somewhere in the beginning of the immediate effect? Definitely. Yeah. And then a key issue is, of course, that no one knows how long this is going to persist. And looking at what's the driver for this disruption, for shortages appearing in not being able to get as much stuff out of China as you normally do and not being able to sell as much locally in China as as you're normally able to do, well, that is because of the containment, that people cannot move freely. That's what's causing disruption. Why is the containment introduced? Why is it there? In order to avoid the further rapid spread of the virus. And, and, and nobody can answer with accuracy how long that's going to persist or how, how big it's going to be. But then at the same time, if you're in charge of running a business, you of course need to ensure that you're in shape to deal with whatever happens in your business, right? Yeah. Now, this is what we're seeing now. This is what we know is coming. But looking at what might come next. I mean, we've seen the virus spread in countries like South Korea, Japan, Iran, Italy, and, and, and really continuing day by day to spread pretty rapidly. But, but what would you say is coming next when it comes to these uh, containment measures? Yeah. So, so I mean, first, first of all, as we've discussed, you have the direct hit from China. But then it's also important to, to note that this, uh, this takes different routes before it reaches European corporates, right? Because you, you have the direct effect of a decreased supply, uh, which, uh, which, taking into account shipping times and handling times, takes about 25 to 30 days. But then you also have the fact that Europe, is, uh, Europe and European corporates are trading with other nations as well. Uh, and these nations will, will, of course, also be affected, uh, not only by the virus, but the direct effects of, of trade disruption in China, meaning that with a specific lag, uh, corporates in, the, uh, in Europe risk facing supply shortages, shortages not only directly from China, but also from other regions as well. Uh, and hopefully uh, this will 
uh, in the near time become an ir irrelevant talking point uh, given containment efforts. But as we're seeing right now and given, given the, the spread of the virus, uh, we see a risk of, uh, of countries needing to take uh, similar measures uh, as they've done in China. And this would, of course, further this, uh, this disruption uh, in, in other regions and in other sectors. Like Japan and now also Italy closing schools nationwide. Exactly. Uh, introducing yeah. lockdowns for affected regions. And, and, and another important point on that particular topic, I think, is that it's not only right, about what authorities are doing, what governments are introducing as mandatory measures. It's also about what are companies, organizations yeah. and even individuals doing on their own volition. Exactly, yeah. And, th and that's a very, very big part of, of the effect uh, that these measures have. And uh, just for as an example, if we, if we talk about uh, global trade, uh, I mean, obviously there's been a lot of discussion in recent years regarding uh, trade deals between the US and China, putting a, putting a uh, kind of dampened mood on, on global trade. Uh, but what we're seeing right now is uh, an increased number of uh, ports, for example, around the world. Uh, instating uh, different types of restrictions regarding trade. And I mean, of course, this has to do with the, the containment uh, measures. Uh, just as an example, there are, are uh, two-week quarantine periods uh, for, for Chinese cargo ships in some areas. And, and uh, we've also seen some ports go so far as to not allow uh, ships that have made a port call from China at all. Uh, and more recently, we're seeing, we're seeing this including not only China, but including ships uh, having, having come from Japan, for example, or Italy, or Iran, or, or other regions as well. Yeah. So one month to ship the goods across, potentially two weeks in port before you're released to go back. Yeah. And that, of course, creates more lags and disruption in the system. Definitely. Right, so if you're a company, if you have a business, there is all this disruption happening right now. Uh, but then, what do companies need to think about? How, how do they deal with all this? So there are some key considerations to be made. Um, and, and I think one of the most evident reasons why uh, that we've already seen happening is, is all the, uh, the volatility in not only equity markets, but in bond markets as well. We see widening spreads and, and we see a clear worry from investors and from, uh, f from lenders uh, regarding what is happening. And this kind of points us in the direction of where, where might there be some worry. So we're talking about the, the equity side, we're talking about the, the financing side. Uh, and I don't know Yvonne, if you, if you want to begin by briefing a little bit about on the, on the, on the uh, refinancing side, uh, the bond markets. I guess it's a good place to start, right? Because if there are two ways where you can get affected by the disruption, either it will be because your customers aren't able to buy what you're offering. Mm. Or it might be that you are not getting a supply of components or materials or even finished products from where you're normally sourcing that you can actually sell. Now, if you stand there with your business, with your costs, and you are either not able to replenish whatever you're selling, so you can't generate more sales and get more cash, or alternatively, the customers aren't able to buy, and then you don't get the cash from your sales, right. but you're still there with your costs. Well, then, clearly, from a pure economics point of view, that's a problem. And, and that's going to mean a negative impact on cash flow. So, so since, I mean, there's a lot of un, un, uncertainty about what will happen, but what you're saying here is that either side that is getting hit will affect uh, corporate cash flow. Precisely, in a negative way. Yeah. And then if you have a negative impact on cash flow, that means that 
well, all else equal, your need for cash is going to increase, which means that your need for funding is going to increase. Right. For every company, this is going to be different. How how badly is it going to hit? How long might it last? What's your starting point in where you begin with profitability or cash generation or, or level of debt? But what you need to do is to consider, okay, if this drags on for a while, if it's not just a blip and everything gets back to normal in the second quarter, if this is something that's going to be with us for some time, how is your business equipped to cope with that? How well prepared are you to handle the stress? Exactly. And there we would argue that for every corporate, it is absolutely critical to consider that now and to be proactive, to look ahead. And if you see any sort of potential need for an additional buffer to be able to weather any storm that may turn out to be what does lie ahead of us, you should make those preparations now. And as you said, with markets functioning, with markets being there, well, that means it's a good opportunity to do so rather than leave yourself at risk of finding yourself in a situation if things go worse than you hoped later this year and perhaps need to do a big refinancing and finding that the bond market if you have a bond maturing, is not at all as forgiving as you would have hoped that it would be. And you find yourself in a situation where there might be a lack of funding, there might be expensive funding, you might be quite stretched. <coughs> Clearly a situation you want to avoid. So, so from, a, from a risk management perspective, uh, the suggestion would be to, to be proactive yeah. instead, of, uh, instead of wait and see. Because the wait and see might, might I mean, in, in extreme cases, mean that, for example, the bond market for certain issuers dries up, but in less extreme circumsta- circumstances might be more expensive. And you might have to go through a stressful period to arrange a refinancing or secure additional financing if your business is struggling in, in a difficult environment with a lot of disruption. And that's a very unwelcome situation to be in. You might have a lot of pressure already from being on top of managing your business operationally. And then you don't need the additional problem of having to worry about financing or the terms of the financing. So much better to be out ahead and to build a buffer that will see you through this so that you can park that issue and focus on managing the business to cope as well as possible under the circumstances. And we're getting closer to the territory of, of what is, I guess, ultimately going to be affected, which is the equity value. Yeah. yeah. So, so what would you say uh, spe- specifically in, with regards to, to markets being as volatile as they are now? And we're, we're seeing pretty, pretty substan- substantially declining, uh, declining uh, stock prices in certain areas. Uh, so on the equity side... That's clearly not a, a, a debt issue in itself, uh, but the point is that for companies who find themselves in a situation where there is a lot of pressure from the disruption, where there is a lot of uncertainty, where their share price might get depressed, they could face a situation where a player decides to make a move and actually make a hostile bid for their business. And then Taking advantage of the situation. Opportunistically, exactly. But then we're talking about listed companies, naturally. But... That's also one thing that should be thought of proactively and at least considered in advance. If you were to find yourself in that situation, what would be your response? What to have you a do? contingency plan for what to do if it happens. Yeah, and then in the end, it might be the case that there isn't really much you can do about it, but at least you can have a think about is there some advice you can take on how to defend from a takeover attempt? Are there things you can optimize? Are there things that you should consider in order to try and avoid 
being taken out at the worst possible time from a valuation point of view. Are we talking? Uh, are we talking corporates that might might uh, face this disruption in in, uh, in more uh, what do you say healthy financial way, or are we talking about, for example, private equity investors as well? That's a very good point. I mean, in in a turbulent environment with a lot of uncertainty, with a less benign funding environment, clearly even bigger, more well consolidated, stronger corporates might still be reluctant to go out in an environment like that and launch a hostile bid for you, even if your share price is more depressed than theirs. But private equity, you need to be aware that, I mean, private equity has for the past 15 plus years been a very major player, the most important player within M&A in Europe for sure. But looking at the level of resource that the private equity industry has, we're talking one and a half trillion dollars of so-called dry powder of dedicated money to invest in public companies that the private equity industry sits on today. Globally. So money that is available to spend, exactly. not money locked up in, in corporates already. Money that can, can, that can be put to work in buying companies. That's a substantial amount. That's quite a substantial amount. And, and one and a half trillion dollars out there waiting to be deployed, well, from, from, from such a player's point of view, if there are a lot of depressed share prices, meaning that perhaps long-term sound and good companies might be available at, I don't know, just as an argument, one, one half or two thirds of the price that they were available at in last year's market, yeah. that's a fantastic opportunity. So, so e- even, even though there might be an environment which has a lot of uncertainty, which can also hold back industrial players, it's probably dangerous to assume that there might not be a private equity, a financial player out there who could make a move. And therefore, for a corporate, it would make sense to at least have a think about if that situation were to arise, what kind of response could, 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 we, could we do? Yeah. So, so it's, it's funding, it's liquidity, it's potentially takeover type situations. Those are the financial things on the agenda to consider while all this disruption is, is, is going on. And if we're talking more, more broadly, I, I would guess monitoring the situation and, and trying to stay as informed as possible would be kind of a high-level uh, suggestion for, for pretty much anyone. And to not assume that everything will be business as usual, yeah. but to be open to developments potentially being pretty volatile or challenging or demanding. Very much common sense, all of this, yeah. but but nonetheless, I, I guess you could describe it, Victor, as this was a topic that we really would not have liked to have to write about, yeah, but at the same time, a topic that has been extremely interesting for us to get into and write about, given that it seems like there is so much common sense that can actually be applied here, which I think both you and I agree, ultimately, say a year out from now, from from today, could could turn out to have made a huge difference. And even though we might uh, might be calling it common sense, uh, just stressing the relevance of monitoring the situation and, and staying up to date with developments. And, and as you mentioned, not making assumptions that have perhaps previously uh, been true with, with uh, very liquid markets, for example. Exactly. Yeah. If we were to try to sum all this up and close around here, I think a way of describing it would be that a corporate should have a sense of urgency should not assume that it's going to be business as usual and and should have preparations in place for coping with what lies ahead.
And with that, a natural place to stop. Perhaps. Absolutely. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all. Thank you.